This is Escape from the Burnout Society, a podcast dedicated to prevent and overcome chronic stress and burnout. It is also a dialogue with many experts around the world in the fields of health, mindset and lifestyle. I hope you enjoy it. Check for more information on our website www.escapeburnoutsociety.com Well, welcome. This is Escape from the Burnout Society. I am your host, Gabriela Guzman, and my guest today is Ishtar Howell. Ishtar is an experienced meditator and meditation teacher with an amazing life journey. He was engaged in a terrible car accident where he lost his beloved mother. But at the same time, he got in touch with a higher reality through a near-death experience he had during this dramatic event. From that moment on, he would dedicate himself to search for that wonderful state of being. At age 17, he began a regimen of meditation practices and ascetic disciplines that included waking to cold showers at 3 a.m. in the morning, fasting, and six hours of daily meditation practice. A bit later, he would learn a meditation technique that is called Ishaya's Ascension, and he would also become a teacher after very intensive teacher training which was a six-month program that involved around 12 hours of closed-eye meditation a day. He began teaching classes around the world and living in various regional meditation centers like in Hong Kong, Finland, Switzerland, and Michigan. Hishtar is today with us to talk about his life experience and his meditation teaching. Ascension is a series of easy, effective, and effortless meditation techniques based on praise, gratitude, and love that allow us to relax deeply in the most expansive strata of consciousness, presence, being, pure awareness. Ascension is simply a wonderful way of relaxing into deeply physical rest, lucid mental clarity, and a healing and transformational sense of peace. In 2008, he left his monastic organization and then took an extended break from meditation teaching and attended university. In 2014, he returned to teaching meditation and serving as a trail guide on the path, helping people cultivate awareness and relax into wholeness as a lived experience. Ishtar, you are very welcome. (laughs) Thank you very much, Gabriela. Well, that was quite an introduction, but your life is so interesting. (sighs) I couldn't, I, I almost couldn't shorten that. <laughs> <laughs> Ishtar, well, let's begin with the beginning, how everything started many years ago. Uh, maybe you can start talking about um, well, your first experience with a higher reality, uh, especially when you were a child and then later through uh, that car accident you had. Mm, sure, abs- absolutely. And, and Joe, please stop me or redirect me as 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 need be uh you know to make it germane for everybody listening uh, yeah. but because uh, you know, there was certainly no risk of me getting burned out in the crib uh <laughs> which is you know which is basically where all the where all the trouble or or the blessings um began uh i i nobody told me until probably my last year of high school that i wasn't supposed to remember certain things that i always had remembered about my childhood um you know for instance i remember the the first time that i walked you know more than a few paces at once and many of the many of the attempts 
uh, leading up to that, I, I remember uh, being held with certain articles of clothing on certain places that I, I really ought not to remember. And I have a lot of memories from the crib, uh, which is which is uh, where on many mornings I would just be sitting uh, before the sun came up. You know, maybe I'd have no idea how long I'd just be sitting there, but I would be staring at the curtains in my room or or looking at other things. And there was always this wonderful sense that I was actually literally in everything that was around me. Uh, I took that for granted. Uh, when when um, my mother would come into the room or my sister would come into the room, or my dad or something like that, I would have a sense of actually also being in their body and being in this body and being in something else that I, I couldn't describe um, uh, along with this, uh, these types of experiences, I, I also seem to be having experiences where I maybe saw ghosts or spirits or, or something like that. I kind of, you know, as I was, I was raised to be very skeptical and, and kind of in a scientific sort of way. So I'll, most of these experiences, I, you know, kind of filed under, you know, I'm probably just imagining um, things. But one, one of the earliest I remember is, uh, is an old lady with um, very curly white hair that looked like my grandmother's hair, but this lady was shorter than my grandmother. Uh, walked in my room wearing sort of a light blue nightgown with, with sort of a, a white lacy collar type thing. Walked by my crib, didn't look at me, but I kind of felt her attention uh, touching mine if people know that, that sensation. And then I kept watching her. I wasn't afraid at all. Uh, she didn't give me any bad vibes. I don't think I quite had learned how to be afraid of things yet. And then I saw her walk out of the back wall of my bedroom. And I'd never seen anybody walk through a wall before. And I was like, whoa, you know, so it didn't give me the creeps. I was like, I'm going to try that when I learn how to get out of this, you know, crib on my own. I, of course, I you know, wasn't using language even at that point yet. I was using thoughts and thought pictures. And, and, and so these, these were some, you know, that was where it really began. Um, in the crib, these things kind of stayed with me um, in the background, sometimes very much in the foreground, um, as I as I grew up uh, until about age seven, when when um, you know I remember the kindergarten teacher telling my mother that you know oh he's got a he's got a good personality. And I had to ask my mom on the way back, you know what what's a personality? I was fascinated by by you know what what this you know teacher was saying and then and then a lot of things dawned at that moment uh, when my mother was describing um, the rudiments of what a personality is and then the, actually in that conversation I realized that's the thing I thought that was the thing I was missing out on uh, because then then it actually filled in a lot of questions that I had about the adults I was like you know why is dad why are mom and dad upset at certain times you know, why, why is my sister upset at, at certain things and in certain ways? Why is um, in, in ways that seemed odd to me? Like, because I could understand getting upset over, you know, losing a toy or skinning a knee or things like that, but I didn't understand uh, existential angst. You know, I, I, I didn't quite understand this sort of extra layer of suffering. And so then when, when, when she said personality, that should clue me in that I shouldn't want one of those. But then I thought I really like to get one of those so that I could fit in. And, and so that like, it seemed like a great idea, actually, I should. And so I remember spending the next, um, my mother, at that I was the baby of the family. So it's like, when you're the baby of the family, you get babied a little bit longer because, you know, they're not going to have another one. So they want to, you know, enjoy the, the young one while they can. 
And so, she, you know, she would um, put my clothes on in the morning. And, and then I, I remember for a while at about that age, I was just, I would tell my mother, today I'm going to have this personality. So I'm going to like these things. I'm going to dislike these things. Um, and I would give myself these backstories of why this was. And I was, you know, basically having fun constructing psychologies. Um, you know, even though there was kind of one that was innate that was, um, you know, bubbling up, I was, you know, I, I felt, thought of mainly as an artificial structure. It seemed like something outside of whoever I was. And I did this until, you know, it, one of them just started to kind of stick after I went to first grade. I remember coming, I had a hard time going to school because of a very strange kid in many ways and, and um, very um, uh, outspoken. And, you know, kind of creative and maybe in interested in some very strange things like Abraham Lincoln or American history or world history and, um, you know, Tibetan, Tibetan monks and stuff like that. But I'd read in the little books of reincarnation at the public library and it didn't make me very popular. So I remember coming home one day and telling my sister, my you know, older sister, hey, sis, I've got it figured out. You know, I, I'm gonna, I know how to solve my problem. I, I will just like anybody who I'm talking to, I can read them very well and I will, I know what they want and I could just be any kind of person and then know people won't, you know, kind of pick on me anymore. I'll just kind of, and, and then she said, well, you better be careful about strategy, that strategy. You're going to forget who you are. And I was like, no, 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 I've got it covered. I was about I was seven at this time. I was very confident filled with hubris. I've got it covered. You know, and then a year later, I walked into a room. And I was like, I, I, you were right. You know, I don't, when the parents tell me just be yourself, I have absolutely no idea what they're talking about. Because uh, I'd, I'd have to ask like, which one? you know, because I didn't know. And, and so, you know, kind of grew up from there and I still had these sorts of spiritual experiences and things with like ghosts and, and they would come into my room and I would close my eyes and go into this very bright internal space. And I would feel that space projected into the room and when I opened my eyes, they wouldn't be there anymore. And, and so this, this was very frequent, that, like that sort of stuff. But it was still like, for me, uh, oddly, it was on the back burner. I was interested in trying to become socially acceptable, to be liked, um, not be harassed so much, uh, and all these other things that, you know, you, you think of as generally important for, for kids or, you know, do well in school was on my mind, not piss off my mom and dad. <laughs> you, yeah, you know. because uh, did you yeah. tell anything to your parents? Oh, not really, not much, you know, so every now and then I kind of felt that I had to keep it a bit close to my chest, all that stuff. So, you know, and also I kind of had this in, sense that, you know, I, I, I had a sense that I had to protect my perceptions in a way like that, that I felt like that a certain, in a certain way, psychologically, I felt I wasn't strong enough and I didn't want to have adults kind of coming down and, and, and squishing. So that was one thing I kind of kept. And what I did share, luckily, I was kind of um, praised for instead of condemned for. And, and so a lot of the, the type of stuff that I was experiencing kind of fell under the rubric of imagination, which, which was something that was um, lauded in, in my household. 
So, and sometimes I tell my sister some things and, and she was very sensitive too. We should have compared notes earlier on. Like last year we were having a conversation. She said, did you ever see skeleton man? And, 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 the, and like, well, what do you mean by that? And she said, well, there used to be this, this guy that came out of my closet and he was only a skeleton freaked me out. I said like, I did, I, I've seen skeleton man. You, you know, it's like, whoa. Uh, you, you, so you she know, saw our, it our, too. She saw some things too, yeah. And, and you know, uh, she was very sensitive. We were very psychic with each other. We're almost like twins in that capacity. We would play these games where we'd ask each other, what number are you thinking of? And we, we would be beating chance by, uh, you know, knowing knowing this. Yeah. Side. Um, so, so yeah, she, she was very sensitive as, as well. Uh, wow. Yeah. So you, you both were born with this ability, but then it happened. You lost your mom. Yeah. Tell us about this. Event. Yes. Yeah. God. Yeah. That, um, you know, it was interesting. It was actually just at a time, you know, you're 13. I'm about going into very early stages of puberty. At that point, I thought I'd, I'd mastered the social game. And in fact, I had, I was like, I was a damn good liar. Like, and by my definition, you know, as teenagers are, they, you know, posture and they, you know, want to, you know, want to, want to look good in, in, in different ways. And I think I'd gotten fairly decent at that, at least in an, in an idiosyncratic sort of way. And, and then the wake-up call came. Uh, I was actually, I was, you know, playing a baseball game and um, got hit by a pitch. Turned out I'd broken my arm. Um, you know, it was a really hard fastball. And, and so that I remember that night, I, after being at the doctor's office and having the extras, oh, it's, I was so mopey about missing, going to miss, you know, half or all of my baseball season. And I was talking to my mom, you know, before going to bed, and it just kind of came like lightning um, through me uh, to ask her if she was going to die soon. And um, that was never something I had ever been worried about with her. I had those worries with my dad. So it kind of took me by surprise that, you know, it's, I didn't think it just came right my, out of my mouth before I could even, you know, think much about that. She was kind of shocked too. She was like, something, something in it kind of um, struck her. And then she said, no, no, I'm not going to. Well, not for a while anyways. I, I promise I'll be around for you as long as you, uh, as you need me. And I said, okay, you know, I just figured it out. It's just a thing I'm saying. It's not not very likely mom's going to die at 45, you know. And and then next morning I woke up with a start and they were walking outside my, my bedroom door. I actually slept with the doors open. I felt safer with my door open than closed, which is interesting. Uh, I think it's a ghost thing. Um, but um Anyhow, uh, I, I woke up like those cartoon characters that, that would just spring up out of bed, you know, boom, in, into vertical. And I was gasping for air like I'd been running and and like running to get into my body. And, and I was, as soon as I was up, I saw them. I was saying like, I've got something. I have something I have to tell you. I was so, um, there was such an urgency about this. And then I, and I became so frustrated because I couldn't remember the thing I was supposed to tell them. And I was just, I was, you know, just so anxious about that. They had to come in and call me down. And, and I was like, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Okay. I'll, I'll, you know, I'll see you two later. Cause I literally just came out of, out of sleep. And then they walked out and, and I got, you know, it was quite early in the morning. must've been six. I had to get to school by seven 30. And it was like four blocks of walk away from me to middle school. And I, 
you know, got my lunch together, went, walked to school, um, you know, had a good day. It was second to the last day of school, always a fine day, no homework, um, you know, go to an awards ceremony, pretty light duty. Um, I came home and, you know, spent, you know, maybe another hour with my mom watching half of a movie. We dropped my sister off at her new workplace. And as we were pulling out of the parking lot, trying to cross one of those four lane divided highways, uh, you know, there was a car that was behind another, my vision behind another car. And, you know, the first car that we could see, you know, we, we cleared easily, but the second one, I think it started, you know, maybe going 20 miles per hour faster than the speed limit, somewhere in between, or it was just bad timing. And so anyways, I was coming to look to my left and, and all of a sudden, you know, just maybe less than a foot outside uh, my mother's side of the car was this giant, you know, like Lincoln Town Car, Lincoln Continental, big car going fast about to hit us. And that was just, I figured that was it. You know, uh, I was pretty sure, okay, we're in a tiny little Chevy Cavalier. This is not a big car. That thing's big and going fast. Um, and, and so I had, you know, time to think, shit. That's like, <laughs> oh, shit. And, and, but instead of tightening up and, and getting afraid, I just let go. Because, you know, some, some deeper, I went into some deeper part of my consciousness than, than I normally inhabited in those days. And, and, you know, on the way down there, I kind of, you know, had this thought, oh, I really thought this particular life was going to go more than 13 years. I was genuinely confused on the script change. And I was like, okay, you know, if this is 13 years, fine. You know, I thought this one was, you know, going to be longer. And um, then, you know, I had um, the life review happen. This is before getting hit. I, so this is why I never considered my experience a near death, um, an NDE or anything like that for years. Um, because, they're, you know, you know, I, I've watched the movie Flatliners from the 80s and there's all this, you know, paddle work where the electricity looked very intense. And, and but I had the I had the life review happen, which which was strange and fascinating to me um, because I didn't think such a thing was possible to have the entire life in complete detail run from where you were now back to the beginning. And, and so it did. Uh, but in this case, it was I also kind of had the sense of being in the presence of a totally objective, all-seeing aspect of consciousness, um, for lack of a, a better wording. And, you know, it was almost as if I was guided with like, like with Virgil in, in, in the, uh, the Divine Comedy. Uh, and, and so we were going through and, and any, any place where I, I had uh, lied, you know, or any place where I had, I, you know, put up some mask a pretense out of fear or or i had kind of you know went out of my center we saw it for exactly what it was and and there was this profound forgiveness that that went with each each of those episodes um there was also this sense of uh, like other nde years report there was a sense of being able to be very non-local at the same time in my memories i wasn't just in my own atomized body but i was and, and the other people as well. I could have a sense of, you know, what would seem very complicated to the surface mind is very simple in that realm of experience, a sense of how everything was instantly affecting everything else as if it was just some beautiful, complicated um, web of life, and which, which was very profound in itself to experience. And there was a sense as we peeled back this life and, and things were being forgiven and healed, there was this, um, 
at the same time, a sense of having like um, like a, a saran wrap skin being pulled off of my physical body, um, you know, like an invisible membrane that had been there the whole time, but you know that had no mass, but maybe had like the weight of weight of two hundred pounds extra that I had no idea was carrying that whole time, and it was fear, and it just just gripping existential fear. And it was very surprising. I, even during the experience, I had a little time for sort of commentary. I was like, wow, I was only 13. I had no idea I had, I had an easy life and I, I had this much time to get this much tension. Like what in the world? You know, that is so much tension and fear. And, and you know, and it was pulled off. And as it was, as it was being pulled off, it became clear that everything that had happened in my life and everything that I was experiencing even right now, because my eyes were also kind of open, um, was was actually for lack of a better word made of love you know that was that was my best that's my current best translation of of an experience that doesn't lend itself very well to to language but you know there was a sense that everything was was love everything was light that everything had been you know that here here to use a the, the christian bible here was the kingdom of heaven the whole time but i was missing it because i was I was, I was, you know, even in many of my light moments, I was tensed up. Um, also in this life review, I, I saw all the moments that I wasn't tensed up. And some of them were ones that were not deeply committed to memory. Uh, because, you know, it's, it's a, I, I would say the deepest strata of our being is much more subtle than um, a lot of the parts of life were trained in school and by family to pay attention to. And so there were these profound moments where, where I, I remembered like daydreaming um, in third grade, looking out my classroom window when it's raining. And, and I caught in the life review that moment that I was fully immersed in this vast consciousness, you know, or, or looking into a puddle or all the times that I've been kind to somebody just, you know, not, not thinking about it necessarily, but just as a matter of course, there, there was a sense that all the, all the moments in life where I had just been let go, and where I was actually going with, with some kind of flow. Here's uh, another term that, that I was really tuned into strongly in the ND. There was a sense that there is kind of a script. You know, maybe it's a very complicated, multi-dimensional, choose-your-own-adventure script, but there was a sense that, that there was kind of a river that was guiding my life and that I had one of two choices. One, I could, I could fight the hell out of I could fight that current and, and live as like a little, um, you know, kind of a little ego driving, driving my, my um, mental linguistic, you know, machine up, up here. And, and that hurt like hell. Um, or I could, I could learn to, to let go and, and, and let myself be carried with this flow that you know that was that was also shown there wow so. and and that all you know that's also so in, interesting about these experiences that is is so much that me has been encompassed mm. in 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 one mm. experience it's, it's just you know we we can barely understand how much that means and is yeah um because we live yeah, i've been unpacking it ever since Exactly. It, exactly. It's like I was given such a dense file and I had to go and do this, live as a crazy monk. I don't think everybody has to do that. It was in my script, we'll just say, um, but it was in my script that I had, I had this sort of uh, deep, deep, intense, zealous spiritual seeker. And that was part of, in my life, unfolding that singular moment so that it didn't just lay in ossified, 
relic in somewhere in my past, but it could actually be a seed which I could water and nurture and have, you know, be a real lived sort of thing. Of course, of course. So yeah. indeed, well, well, this, 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 um, yeah, I mean, like many NDEs, I mean, you lost something that was very dear to you, yeah. but you yeah. also got a lot from it and it might be yes. also part of the script. You never know. Yes. Yeah. Yes, it, I, I had that sense right away too, which which didn't you know didn't lessen the grief, but kind of in a certain way sort of did. Um, I, to contradict myself, you know, I had the sense, oh, yeah, I, I kind of, of course, you know, of course, this was going to happen, you know, and not in a depressed way, just kind of a, a deeper instinctual sort of sort of way. Yeah. And uh, so you started this search for this. Well, of course, to understand everything you saw and yeah. you felt, and uh, you start this regimen of uh, waking up at three a.m. in the morning, and oh. because well, you thought it was the way to follow. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Huh? That took a while. That took that took for me a while. That was like I don't know four years, but the four years felt you know to a teenager feel like a long time, and I oh my god, I was even afraid of meditating. In a sense, I was intimidated by it. Maybe that's a better word here. Um, I had this sense. For, first, I, I didn't necessarily have any formal training right off the bat. That would have probably been nice. Um, I picked it up as I went, as you know, teachers came into town, and you know, I could I could sample you know what they had, and I had some mentors. But boy, I was I was not gunning to to do that. Um, I was kind of trying to find some way to not shut down. Um, this opening that had come, but at the same time, try to salvage the plan that I thought I was supposed to be living. And, you know, so that, you know, both myself and my family and, you know, I was trying to please a lot of people, even, even if to them, they didn't, they saw me maybe as a impetuous rebel. I was really trying to actually come up with some kind of multi-party compromise. And, and it just became increasingly difficult over the years. There, there was like, uh, there was something that was trying to, trying to bloom inside me and at a certain point I was just like oh my god there's no point in fighting this you know there's 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 just no point what am I, I might just die the next day and uh, you know I'll, I'll regret it as I'm leaving my body you know that you didn't you know you silly silly dummy you didn't um you didn't play the song that was really trying to to live through you exactly yeah. but so this regimen was taking you not really uh, in the right direction yeah, maybe not. Um, yeah, yeah, there are pros and cons for sure. Yeah. <laughs> I think the pros was I was supposed to do it and I needed to get it out of my system. And I actually kind of needed to see if I needed to like open up to that part that was willing to do anything that was that was, you know, willing to commit 100%. And, uh, and, and so I did. And it wasn't always fun. And I, I don't think all the stuff I did necessarily was you know, very sustainable or, or a good practice to do for most people, perhaps even myself. And, and so thankfully, you know, events kind of um, transpired where easier ways of um, meditation presented themselves. Uh, I'm very thankful. Yeah, <laughs> I can imagine. So, well, this came to your path. You found it or it found you. You never, you never know. Yeah. But tell yeah. us about Ascension, Asaya Ascension. Tell us, tell us about it. Oh, oh my God, it, it's, it's, it's too good to be true. 
That, that's the first thing. It's, it's way too good to be true. I, I didn't think it was going to, to amount to much of anything when I was first introduced to it. Yeah, uh, I, I found my... You don't need any cold showers at 3 and uh, 3 a.m. in the morning. Oh, God, no, <laughs> I, I know to, to somebody born in the in the upper Midwest like me, where no pain, no gain is kind of an axiom. Uh, it, it ran against a lot of that. My 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 uh, conditioning, uh, you know, like uh, things that are the most worthwhile in life. I thought you had to work the hardest for. And and so, you know, this thing thing the most worthwhile. So thus it must be so challenging. And I figured, you know, that's why not many people seem to be enlightened on this planet. It must be just so hard. And, um, you know, I was I was like dug in for like 40 lifetimes of hard ass work. You know, and I was even telling myself, like, if you die, you better remember quick next life. You better remember quick. You know, like <laughs> we need a seven-year-old. We need a seven-year-old meditator because it's going to, you know, all sorts of crazy notions like that. But here I'm, I'm introduced to this thing where, where one of the premises um, of, of the meditation practice is that of, of connection to uh, deeper strata of consciousness is endemic. Uh, where where meditation, if done properly, given good instruction, is is effortless and natural. Uh, where, where we're basically just tuning into pathways, channels, tendencies that are universal, that everybody without a meditation practice has experienced anyways, but we're just learning how to do it in a more systematic, regular, and reliable kind of way. And I was like, and, and you know, when, once I tasted the uh, pudding, so to speak, I had the proof of it. I was like, oh my God. You know, this is so like Jesus. It took me, I was thinking like this, getting to this state that I'm in, you know, with, with doing this mantra practice or whatever, uh, with praise, gratitude, love, it took me eight months of hard ass cold showers and, and, and intensity and, and all this other, other stuff. And, and here I am just sort of slipping into uh, this, this wonderful silence and stillness and, and having flows of love, uh, right up through my body and my body's actually feeling relaxed, which it was rarely ever relaxed in when I was doing concentration meditations or, 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 you know, kind of more Buddhist practices. And yeah, that was, I, I, I had to give it some, I had to give it some time to see if I was just having some kind of uh, anomalous uh, high experience or, you know, workshop higher, you know, whatever. And, and, to, and to see if it still kind of consistently gave those results, even with ups and downs of outer life. And, and it seemed to be doing so. And I was like, okay, at the time I'd already been monastery shopping. And, and I, <laughs> it's an interesting term. I, I would literally get pamphlets from different monasteries to see if I could maybe join them. And it didn't matter which tradition, just I wanted a place where I'd be allowed to do service work and do meditation. And then um, I thought, okay, this practice, I'm gonna see if they have meditation centers or ashram-like things associated with it. And, and I basically found a few and had a couple to pick from on the, on the West Coast and ended up eventually living in this meditation center in Oregon. And, and, the, and the rest was basically history. Uh, that you know, I was I went down there for an interview, so they could see if I was you know kind of cut out for for the place, and I could maybe see if I was right for them. Although I had it in my mind, I'd sleep outside on their property if they rejected me until they let me in the door, and you know, there's you know, still was trying to bring some of that like ascetic type of intensity to the to the proceedings. Yeah, it has to be difficult, yeah. right? It had to be difficult. <laughs> I'd read too many stories. Uh, of of, of Shangri-La and these myths and Zen teachers, I thought like, oh man, they're gonna they might beat me with a 
with a bamboo pole. So I've got to be ready for that, you know? For sure. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And, and uh, no, I got, I got brownies. Like uh, what? <laughs> no, I, I, I got oh. to eat brownies. Oh, I get to eat brownies. You know, it's like, okay, I was not expecting brownies. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, and told to lessen my lessen my asceticism, uh, you know, kind of tone it down. Don't try so hard. Don't, you know, be so tight, you know, loose, loosen up in you know, many, many different ways. But they they chose you. You could do the the whole thing. You could you could stay there and you became a teacher. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, they, I kind of like became the mascot, you know, which was great. I was I was fine. But I was the youngest, and so it's like the kid, you know. There were there's there's the enthusiastic kid, and I was you know I got to. It was great. I I loved, I, I loved just about every minute of it, and and it was my own kind of private Shangri La, and I met beautiful soul family there, and and uh, you know, stayed for six and a half years. Five of five and a half of them were probably perfect, and. And uh, that my last year, I, I probably should have left at the beginning of it when I started getting this sense from the, the same spot in my heart that told me to learn the meditation and told me to, you know, go to this place was telling me, oh, you should get yourself fired now. <laughs> I was like, what? But everything's going so well. It's like, yeah, do it, you know, like, uh, and I know where I was going. It was, I had the, I had a fear. There was a certain level I was, I was leaning on my affiliation with some spiritual organization or with spiritual teachers as, as kind of a crutch, as, as an artificial means of support. And, and I knew about that, and and I was you know kind of stuck because even from the inside you're not you're not encouraged to necessarily go, and so then my last year was was part of that you know part of the pain was me denying that part of it was you know I was I don't know maybe the group culture changed a certain amount uh, while I'd been gone at our international centers and and I felt there was too much groupthink and kind of mildly cultish stuff like that going on, and I became kind of a malcontent. So then. I, I had to leave. I, I previously made myself a promise that if you ever become a malcontent and and you, and you're you can't shift into your sort of usual, I'm so happy to be here, joyful mode. That is probably time for you to go. And so I kept that deal with myself when I when I realized, oh, I'm that guy now. So so you know, out the door I out the door I went. Yeah. And tell me in this all this time because you are very young. What did your family say? Oh my God! Well, my family—I have a lovely family, and and there was definitely mixed opinions. And then there was also like people don't say things to me, but I can kind of feel <laughs> thinking certain certain things. Uh, you know, some folks were kind of worried that oh my God, he, you know, he's tanking his whole life. And indeed, I was too. My, my, you know, I, I ran my worst case scenario was uh, you're going to end up um, homeless and then dead in the gutter of pneumonia. From exposure or something like that, you know, and spending several months or years, uh, mainly mainly getting kicked by or, or ignored by passerby, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, you know, I was that was my worst. I was like, you know, I can handle that. It's worth it. And so, and but I think my, my family was worried that you know that would be the situation, and I couldn't handle it, or uh, you know, this, that, or the other thing, or that I was going through maybe just some some wild phase. Or, or this is just a really bad way of handling grief. I don't know if it got as sophisticated as that. Um, and but and others were kind of like, no, actually, I think he's might be actually doing something good for himself. Or I can see that he's, he seems to be genuinely happy, uh, and he seems to be going in a good way. So that uh, you know, maybe you know, multiple opinions in 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 a in in one person at, at a given time. So there's a wide range. 
Uh, but changing my name to Ishtar or accepting a monastic name, you know, it's like, oh my God. <laughs> it was never that big deal to me because I figured first names are so arbitrary anyways and parents, you know, horribly pick them uh, for, for most. But, you, you know, that's that's a that's another can of worms. But, uh, yeah. Yeah, and how yeah. do they call you? <laughs> do they call you through your... It, it, it depends on the person. Uh, a lot call me Ishtar. Some some call me my, my English name Thomas, which is a perfectly good name, and I I never legally left it, but I I, I didn't think it fit as as well as as Ishtar did, and, and you know I might even have another name that fits better than Ishtar. Who knows? Mm -hmm. So that can yeah. be. So yeah. and well, then you left because you 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 went to the university. I did. Yeah. 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 You went to the real yeah. world. Hey. Yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah. I used to call that the square world, you know, like the square yeah. world and the straight you... world. Uh, yeah. But yeah. That, how that was, was that? you know, after years of it. Well, sheesh. I mean, it was equal parts wonderful and terrible. Uh, it, it was a, it was a difficult adjustment, uh, you know, to be honest, um, in, in, in the sense of, I had just come from an environment where everybody was basically so transparent, where anybody could say anything to anybody. And there was a sense that no one would really take it personal. If they did take it personally, they wouldn't take it personally for that long because everybody was dedicated to meditation and everybody was dedicated to growth and in a kind of a very intense sort of way, like, yeah, tell me anything. And in out the world, I, you know, it's not like I had forgotten the, all the, all the social cues and, And, and things that I was raised with, no, I still remembered them, but oh God, to have to, to engage in them was, was just, I hated it. I really, and, and it was difficult because, you know, mo most of the times when you talk to someone, they don't actually, they're actually listening um, to what you have to say. They're waiting to respond. And that was something that that's trained out in, in an ashram and or at least in mine and, or, or in my case. So that was one of, I could come up with more examples, but I was just going like, And and nobody was, I, I could feel people's hearts and barely anybody was actually doing what they really wanted to do. And I could feel what they wanted to do. And and when they'd say something, I'd say like, that's not what you want to be saying right now. You, you can feel the tension. I felt like, uh, like, like, uh, like an actor who's, who has everybody else's script sometimes They're like, Hey, that's not your line. Say your line, you know? And so, and so it, 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 in a sense, it made me, made me sad because I could feel like could see people live, live action, you know, just oh, self-worth. That one's that one's got the self worth that's blocking them from saying that, or, or unprocessed trauma, or or sadness hasn't been felt over there, or you know whatever. And it was um, it was hard to uh, like have people to talk to. Like if I wanted to dump something, or if I had something that was challenging to me, it was very difficult to find people who I could just say anything to, and who had the space in them to sort of to actually listen and not diagnose or you know whatever. So it was different and also a place where nobody knew this wonderful space inside that I found, which, which to, to me had been real, is actually the thing that is the constituent of everything. Uh, you know, so it's like, oh my God, this person, all they have is their mind. All they have is, is, um, is the thoughts I would have at the time. All they have is their thoughts. They don't know that they're this vast silence. They've never been there. It's like, oh my God. So, you know, there was not much I could do to help and I, I kind of shut everything down because you know also I have you know I actually left the ashram in a pretty good way but also in a sense I kind of was made an outsider 
uh, you know, I was, I was made a second class by leaving. And so I kind of took that, I internalized that to a certain degree that I didn't have to. And so, yeah, I'm painting a very complicated picture from, I think, what is a very simple question in this interview format. But, um, but yeah, that's okay, well, all, all there. I, I, that's, a, that's a shock. But I think it's always when I think about people that are enlightened, it's a paradox because you are aware that you're part of everything. And because by being aware of that, of being able to do that, you get a little bit lonely. <laughs> yeah, well, I wasn't. I, I would not. I would not say call myself an, an enlightened then. I might not necessarily now either. I'm in a better place and uh, a, a deeper place now. That's that's a very loaded word too. But I certainly wasn't then. It wasn't stable. What I what I was experiencing wasn't stable at that time. And so it turned out to be a great blessing. I needed I needed to suffer in a sense. Looking back. Uh, and because it was in some ways it was like I was I was the kid and I had some very you know profound experiences that sometimes would just you know stay for months on end and, and it seemed that I was cruising in a very deep place but there were there were definitely cracks in the foundation that that had never I had never been able to kind of even feel or touch that much and I think it was the the medium of of going out back into the world and and suffering and proper suffering that that allowed me to actually uh, grow into those and 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 touch certain spots that otherwise I was having a very difficult time even even having in my experience and so yeah I think I came out of that of a much better meditation teacher and and you know when I came back a, a much better monk uh, much more compassion uh, there wasn't a sense of uh, you know, before I used to have this sense of kind of an insularity about, you know, I'm in the protected walls of monastery and monk world and out there, it's all hell, you know. And I knew even when I experienced that at the time, it's like a 24 year old, but that wasn't good, but I couldn't shake it. So I think I needed to go out into the world and fuck up in all the ways that I was still judging. Uh, yeah. So that yeah. like, oh, you know, so it was, yeah. it was good in the end. Very good. Yeah, well, I think that is a conversation for another chapter another episode about enlightenment i want to bring good news for my audience and i think some people would like to know exactly what that means but um going back uh, to ascension technique uh with the meditation you 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 you're teaching tell us a little bit more about how do you start and how does it look like is it difficult do you have to sit down lie down is it with a mantra is it with uh, eyes closed eyes open tell us about it <laughs> yeah you could you could be suspended upside down from a bridge and do it if you were comfortable in that way so so yeah, the other first off posture is, is whatever is comfortable so you could be sitting up or you could be uh, laying down in bed, even you can be in a recliner, you can be uh, in lotus posture, it, whatever is comfortable it is nice. And, and it does kind of use mantras. I mean, they're not strictly Sanskrit, so I could almost call them prayer mantras. And, and that might be the most accurate sort of formulation. They're in the first language, actually, of, of the of the practitioner. And, and as uh, stated before, they, they incorporate appreciation, gratitude, and love into their structure. Uh, which, which was very, this was all very strange to me because at the time I just finished reading Autobiography of a Yogi and I was a bit of a Sanskrit chauvinist as, as far as like you know, spiritual magical uh, language goes. 
and learning it is is easy. I mean, it is. If anything, people in in the first class, whether it takes place over a weekend or a few days in a row or a few sessions in a row, if anything, people go through a process of progressive relaxation and actually getting used to something being so damned easy. And if anything, a lot of what gets sort of even shed in the first class as a byproduct are, are, are you know, deep habits of making things maybe more difficult than they need to be made. And uh, in, in, in using the techniques, that's, I think that's half my job when I'm teaching it is, is that I've, I've screwed the practice up in as many, in many possible ways. I've made it personally more difficult than it needed to be in my process of learning how to, how to do it so that I can kind of help people, you know, like, oh yeah, you, you know, kind of finesse back and, and, um, and uh, do it as effortlessly as it, as it needs to be done. And, and people teach this all over the world. You know, I'm certainly not the only one. I might be one of the more unorthodox and um, idiosyncratic ones out there because I also, I, for years and years, I, I taught it only in person, you know, in physical proximity. And, and then it must've been a few years back, even before the pandemic, every now and then I'd find people, they'd write me and they'd be like, I'm in Durban, South Africa, I'm in Kazakhstan. And there, I can't get any teachers down here this practice. I'd really like to learn it. And I couldn't necessarily go for just one. So we just did it over Zoom and as kind of experiments and it did work just fine. So I also now teach it over um, Zoom as well as in person. Nobody else is doing that publicly, but you can look up the Shia's Ascension or, or any of that. And you might you know, find people in your area or you can go to my website and get in touch with me to, to learn it. Um, you know, there's, there's a course fee, but I also do a sliding scale because I never turn any students away for, you know, lack of uh, dimes to rub together. And, yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah, that's yeah. a very good news as well for people who have uh, some financial uh, troubles, which is not really very mm -hmm. um, uncommon these days. And um, no, no. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, tell me about it. But um, um, Ishtar, the uh, what happens to people that practice? Uh, Attention. What what have you uh, come upon with uh, with your students? They become wild and ungovernable, like cats. Uh, <laughs> oh, great! It's a joke, but it's true. Also, it's true. <laughs> I want I want everybody to be wild and ungovernable cats when when they come out of the meditation practice. Or or some people become just the the, the most loving dogs you know, in, in the world are both at once, you know, we are human beings, so you don't have to become an animal, obviously. Uh, but uh, no, uh, you know what, all sorts of things happen, certainly relaxation happens, and it's magical relaxation. It's, it's, that was what struck me. Um, in my own experience, I was, you know, so tense often, even as an 18 year old, because there's just effort, 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 you know, and then, wow, my God, my, my hand, it's like sleep, but it's not asleep. But whoa, it's, it's heavy, but light at the same time, what in the world? Uh, is this deli a delicious feeling in the body, too, and, and, and especially if you go for you know longer as you get used to it after the first few sessions. Like, oh my God, uh, it, it's like I thought I'd found my my floor, deep floor of relaxation, and then I'd go a little bit more. Oh, that was a false floor. There, there's there's more that this nervous system can unwind. So so there is um, one thing that people notice. Another another thing is the silence that we can't even put words to. Uh, you know, like because this is something that can be experienced even when there's uh, thoughts moving across the mind, people will start to become aware of this 
kind of somewhat ineffable, hard to describe place where, you know, thoughts about the past fall away, thoughts about the future fall away. And they find themselves, some people call it, you know, a void, others call it a fullness. A lot of my students will, will come, it's kind of funny, they say the same thing, they don't know each other, but they'll say like, Ishtar, I, I, I went someplace, it was kind of like sleep, but I'm absolutely certain it wasn't sleep. And then they'll say that part with the emphasis, you know, like, hey, I wasn't accusing you that it was sleep. <laughs> but they'll, they'll, they'll say it wasn't sleep. I said, I know what you're talking about. And they'll, they'll keep going. They'll be like, oh, my God. You know, it's, it's like they discover that in the back of their mind is this trap door. And when you go through the trap door, you're no longer just a box, a little person sitting in a boxy head. You are the, you are, you are the whole universe. So people start to experience that wonderful sense of non-locality, but it's not... It's a grounded non-locality. Become I became more in my body. Also, sounds like a paradox, but the more non-local and more I touched that vastness, the more I was comfortable actually to be right here, sitting in this physical body. You know, feeling feeling parts of my toes that I never think I'd really actually, you know, felt. Uh, and, and so, yeah, uh, you know, when I tell people to look where to look for benefits in their practice, I say, well, don't necessarily look in your closed-eyed practice, even though you might have some really wondrous, incredible experiences, but the, where the rubber really meets the road, and you'll see, I think, the most interesting gains are when you're out in daily life and, and a situation comes up that you kind of know in the back of your mind tends to throw you for a loop, uh, or, you know, somebody comes and pushes one of your buttons, and then you, you suddenly find yourself non-reactive. No, at all. And it's like you, you almost like um, Smeagol in that part of you know Gollum in the Lord of the Rings, where Smeagol doesn't show up. He's like, well, where'd he go? <laughs> you know, and and uh, you know that that happened. You know, for for me, actually, the first morning after I I learned my my dad was in the process of saying something that usually got me riled up, and just it was just gone. You know, and never never to re, never to return. Mm -hmm. um, so stuff like that happens. And, and I, I find that it's a great way to actually simulate the, the best gains of a near-death experience and, and make them um, permanent is, is because I think that, that that deep space that people touch in meditation is, is really the, you know, the same space that people touch at the deepest end of a, of a near-death experience. They touch this kind of deathless, timeless um, space that is so comforting and so compelling you know that you can't put words to it and and that this is just a way of doing that without going to the trouble of getting into a car accident and or, or drowning or <laughs> you know just riding that edge this is you can ride the edge in a lazy boy you know to a certain extent here yeah, yeah. You, you can only say don't try that at, at home you know <laughs> yeah try that yeah at exactly home. yeah so you just gave us again good news because meditation, you know, <laughs> essential meditation is not difficult. We don't have to take showers yeah. at 3 a.m. in the morning. We don't have to sit in positions that are impossible. Uh. Uh, and, uh, and moreover, we can reach this state of consciousness, which, which might be just like people who had an NDE. And we don't have to die for it. That's also very good idea no. <laughs> no, and, and no and then there's all the love and there's all the love because you know you know the love is just being held back by our our 
our grip on life. And as we touch that consciousness, the grip starts to relax. And then when that happens, the love just starts to pour through in, in, in strange and wonderful ways. Exactly, flowing. And now, Ishtar, we were talking just before this conversation about burnout. And you told me that <laughs> you came to this idea, which I completely agree, uh, about how we get into burnout. Yeah. And you, you told yeah. me, explain us, how do we get in burnout? How uh, does that happen? You know, like like I, I think in, in so many cases, if you dig down um, the, the causal tree and there's a lot of, you know, branches at the top, but if, if you dig down the causal tree, burnout is rooted in, in fighting the river of life or fighting the song that's trying to be sung through you, not being yourself. And ultimately, you know, I, I take those definitions down. It, you know, burnout is, is what happens when we, we, we only try to live as, as you know, the, a tiny isolated um, atom of, a, of, a, of an ego. And if that's all we know, it's inevitable. Even if you have everything given to you, you're going to probably stumble into, you know, the snare of some kind of burnout. Um, but that, that to me is the root, not being yourself, fighting, fighting what's, what's the life that's trying to come through you. And there's other. Because all these personalities we have to, uh, huh? we have to acquire, to be um, accepted, to go through this yes. life. They have to yes. be healed off. So we can the masks. The mask. Oh my God, the off. masks we wear. Most of us don't just wear one fake mask. We've got like seven, and we're really good at facing in between them, aren't we? It, it, it's it's what a, what a, what an acting job that most people do. That that's one thing I loved about a, a Marlon Brando interview with Connie Chung from 1994. You know, she said, "You're a great actor." He said, "No, I'm not a great actor. You know, you're a great actor." You know, everybody's acting, everybody's lying. <laughs> so, you, you, you know, it's a bad Brando impersonation there. But, but, uh, but, but you know, that's kind of true. And, and, you know, it's survival mechanisms. We, you know, as, as, as Jung, would, Jung was talking about this thing called individuation, which, which is, you know, like a goal to achieve. And, and you know, I think a, a simple definition of that is when, when you're living life, but you're not living it according to all the conditioned voices that, that have been put into your head or that you've somehow adopted at one point or another, tall order seems like, um, but it can be done. And, and, and that's, um, and even if, if we take half of the voices out there's, and, and relax them and let them go, there's, there's you know, great improvement um, in quality of life from that and freedom and you know, kind of knowing what we, what we need to do. Um, so, so that's a, a large part of that. I also have. Yeah. Yeah. Um, because, oh, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. About um, the stress people experience. I mean, because burnout comes from a lot of stress, yeah. a lot of anxiety yeah. and yeah. this builds up. And at certain points, uh, you don't have energy anymore to stand uh, yeah. up and face a day. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. Actually, um, well, that's why I started meditating, by the way, because I realized it was very good for me, but it also stayed in my life because it's my way to uh, prevent my own stress. Mm. But 
in doing this, I was also finding myself. And that's something you also mm -hmm. told me, that you help people to, to find themselves. Yes, yeah, exactly. Yeah, in, in, in a couple ways. I, I think you also are, are, are leading me to, into my other line of line of work there. But uh, yeah, you know, I, I think you know, meditation is actually really the core of you know, getting that experience. But I also have a great deal of fun. I think my um, the folks I work with do as well. Um, as, as I work as an intuitive astrologer, and I don't work as an astrologer as a fortune teller. That that I think is um, um, a, a bad uh, name for astrology. Uh, I, I basically use use the birth chart and and i see a picture of a person's soul and you know their, their soul their psyche uh, i i get a sense that people are actually very much akin to um you know wood grains in a tree you know that, that people have each their own kind of particular particular flow and and so i i use sort of astrology as a tool to help people get people reacquainted with with their own particular groove, we'll say. Mm -hmm. And and I think that alone to me is is makes it a worthwhile um, sort of service or, or work as, you know, it's, it's singing those songs of someone's soul and, and watching somebody be like, oh my God, I don't have to, I can just go with that, you know, you know I can, don't have to beat the shit out of myself uh, to try to be somebody that my mother and my father, you know, wanted me to be, or I don't have to force myself into um you know into sort of being the helper the invisible helper all the time because that's how i think i i need to get love i can kind of let that go and you know, turn that dial a little bit so so you know that that's that's all part of it i you know i think people are myths walking myths that are trying to live through you know myths are trying to live through our lives and and when we can connect with those those myths there's there's even something there's something um I evolutionary or therapeutic in that. Yeah, but people are really scared, uh, Ishtar. We also talked about that, to stop being what they are. Because if they stop being what they are and take off the mask, well, most of the time they also don't know what's behind the mask. But we're yeah. also afraid because we might lose status, we might lose money, we might lose oh, yeah. a house, or we might lose um, the money for the college for our children right. and we talked about that last time and, and you told me well the funny thing is when you start listening to this music that comes from inside uh, you get more you know you get more opportunities and you get all kind of opportunities that help you through this process could you talk about a little yeah. more about like how it's it like yeah. It's like orchestra. Well, it's an odd thing. Yeah, it's an odd thing because uh, that is often the case. Now, I think there are also cases. I I, I don't want to be a sort of a kind of a modern American uh, everything's easy peasy law of attraction sort of person. Uh, <laughs> it'd be over simplistic because I, I think there are also cases where like yeah, actually we we gain a great deal psychologically and, and in happiness, and we maybe find that we don't. We don't need as much of the out, outside um, uh, trappings of, of success or happiness as, as we thought we did before. And so there are there are transformations that look like that, where people are like, yeah, you know, I'm just going to, I don't need to be 
in this job or in this city. Actually, I kind of want to be in a triple wide cabin in, in a beautiful forest in Michigan, some some place like that. And, and you know, then we have the person kind of actually coming alive. There are certainly other cases where, where it's like, oh my God, yeah, all those fears that you'd lose everything were, were you know, largely unfounded. Uh, and, and in fact, one actually does have more energy and more intelligence and more access to their innate creativity by dropping a whole bunch of BS uh, that they were carrying and by, listening to their damned intuition, which I know our, our scientific, uh, and I've said enough things that the scientific consensus in our culture is kind of thinking are, are, are dubious already. But but you know, I, I would say you have to say that, uh, you know, we people have a horse sense that we do not use because we, we do everything through the, uh, we're, we're over heavy on the rational linguistic uh, functions of consciousness and, and we really could tune into intuition. And, and that this kind of horse, deep horse sense, no matter how you frame it is that, you know, will take you, uh, take you laterally to, to your goals in ways that, you know, just would not come to a linear thinker, would, would not come to the linear side of the brain. Mm-hmm. And I've had a lot of magic in my life. I don't know how much time we were kind of running down our, our, our interview here, but you know, and things I would actually call straight up magic, synchronicity, you know, that, that you can't really explain in, in kind of a scientific mechanistic causal sense that, that, you know, have informed me that the art of life really is in getting the hell out of your own way. 90% and maybe 10% is using your, your, your noggin to kind of be practical about, uh, you know, the steps, but the most of life seems like just lay back and go where the script is trying to have you go and, you know, things will tend to get taken care of. Yeah, which which is for many people the most difficult part, just to let go. Yes. Already that is quite uh, an effort. <laughs> Yes, yes, yes. It, it is if you just try to do it from up here. It's very difficult to, to do it. From, but uh, that, that's why I try to get people into doing a meditation because it tends to um, take them to a place that isn't so afraid and tends to take them to a place that, you know, kind of maybe without using words, understands that that the, the essence of who I am is can't actually be hurt or the essence of who I am is, is this big, vast thing, which is bigger than all the, uh, all the circumstances of my life. And uh, when, when people start to kind of taste that, even if they're not putting it into the words that I just said, but if they're tasting and experiencing that, that tends to give people a kind of a strength or, you know, sort of a reserve that allows them to, you know, take some of these lateral uh, steps. Yeah, and that they give they gain some confidence, and then yes, yeah, yes, I understand. Yeah. So it's really it has been really an amazing conversation with you. I I am sure you can guide people very easily into this state of consciousness, and anyway, to discover what they are. Um, I am going to put in the description of uh, this podcast your website. Maybe you want to, oh, thank to, you. To, to say again, what's the name of your podcast, of your, oh, sorry, your website? Maybe that was, a, I'll call it a Jungian slip. I'm supposed to have one of those. <laughs> uh, but I've got a couple of websites. My meditation website is called www.ascension-meditation.com. The dash is a symbol in the middle. Uh, my astrological intuitive website is 
uh, www.awakenedlightastrology.com. All right, thank you. And anyway, I will put the, uh, the, the links into the description of this podcast, of this episode. And um, Ishtar, thank you very much for your time and talk to you soon. Oh, thank you. Thank you, Gabriela. The, the equal pleasure.